And welcome into a new episode of American Ag Today, produced by the American Ag Network. I'm your host, Jesse Allen. Thanks for joining us here today. Well, too much milk and not enough capacity means dairy farmers are being asked to dump milk. Dr. Christopher Wolf of Cornell University says it's a matter of supply and demand. The peak consumption of dairy products, of course, happens around the holiday, and the peak production happens about this time of year. And so we've got to convert some of those dairy products to something storable so that we have them for the holidays. But that requires having big investment in processing capacity. And this kind of spring flush time, which coincides with kids leaving school, has always been a challenge for the dairy industry to manage. Balancing day-to-day, balancing across the year, and balancing kind of through the cycles has increasingly been a challenge. And in some cases, it's resulted in some milk being dumped, which nobody wants to see because it's a waste of resources all around. However, he says there are many issues facing dairy farmers right now. We've been having transportation issues because fuel has been expensive. It's certainly less expensive now than it was a year ago, but it's still not cheap. And we simply don't have enough truck drivers and labor costs all the way around. The other thing is there are plants that would like to add another shift, maybe to soak up some of this so that milk doesn't get dumped, but have been having difficulty finding the workers. Wolf says it's just another reason to suggest that federal milk marketing orders need updated, specifically the make allowances. The make allowances, I think that there's definitely an agreement that they probably need to be increased to reflect the realities of what's happened in the last 15 years, which is how long it's been since they were updated, with increasing energy costs, labor costs, and other costs like that. And then the discussion is going to be, you know, kind of how much and how the change might be made so that they could be updated consistently, which is part of the discussion right now. Again, that's Dr. Christopher Wolf from Cornell University. Well, after a rapid planting season, Steve Shaney, AgriGold's Western Agronomy Manager, says less than ideal moisture across much of the Corn Belt is reason for concern about crop stands. Yes, I would say much of the Corn Belt is experiencing some form of drought. Agronomists all over can be heard talking about rootless corn syndrome, herbicide carryover, salt injury from NH3 and manure applications, just due to the overall dry soil conditions that a lot of people are experiencing. Each growing season brings unique pest and disease threats. Shaney explains what farmers should be on the lookout for. Well, the best thing a farmer can do is get out of the truck and get in the field as much as possible and be on the lookout for disease and pest pressure. Even in a drought, disease can take hold in a crop when high dew points are in play. And when it comes to a drought, pest pressure can be inopportune just due to the stress it puts on the crop as well. So right now I'm focused on looking for corn, corn rootworm, cyst nematodes, and also the dark horse of a drought would be spider mites out there. Experts say tar spot thrives in wet conditions. Shaney offers the outlook for tar spot this year. Tar spot likes moderate temps and humid conditions, but don't let that fool you. We saw its movement last year track into the west into new environments, even in the face of a drought. So tar spot is an aggressive disease, and you are always one week away from this taking hold within the field as long as conditions are right. So top three management items of tar spot are going to be selecting tolerant hybrids, taking preventative fungicide measures, and then budgeting for multiple applications. And he adds, what should farmers keep in mind as the crop heads into the critical pollination period? The biggest thing I pay attention to right now is what our tissue sampling protocols taught me over the last few years about finishing a crop strong. So the top two things that I'm going to be taking a look at is keeping those plants healthy and taking up nutrients all the way through black layer. And some of the things I want to focus on are nutrients that are going to help maximize that grain field period. 
those top six nutrients that I'm looking for are nitrogen, phosphorus, boron, sulfur, zinc, and copper. Again, that's Steve Shaney, AgriGold's Western Agronomy Manager. Well, what does the U.S. wheat flour miller importing wheat outside of the U.S. mean for the U.S. wheat marketplace? Vince Peterson, U.S. Wheat Associates president, explains this obscure situation. We do have some European, Eastern European wheat, most likely Polish origin wheat that is going to be moving into a flour mill in Tampa, Florida, which is the only flour mill we have in the United States that's actually built on a water access uh, facility. It's a new Arden flour mill that was built about the last one or two years down there. Blaming the situation on Russian President Vladimir Putin, Peterson explains that commodities from Ukraine have flooded the domestic market for Eastern European countries, pushing prices down. The Russian invasion and the displacement of all of those uh, Ukrainian agricultural goods has made a huge problem in Eastern Europe. So when they block essentially the Black Sea access by ship, and it's not blocked entirely, there's a corridor that's being protected, but a huge flood of, of grain, wheat, corn, oil seeds, and some other things went across into Eastern Europe. Bottom line, he says that the Tampa, Florida miller is making a decision based on economics. At $100 a ton difference, you can put it on a boat in Poland, bring it all the way across the Atlantic and take it into Tampa, Florida, and be less than the price of yours hard bread where we railed across the United States to get there. Again, that's U.S. Wheat Associates President Vince Peterson. And also Northwest Cherry Growers gathered recently for the annual five-state meeting to share the forecast for the upcoming cherry season. President B.J. Thurlby says from early on, this crop has looked really good. You know, we came into the fall looking at trees, and there was, I would say, as many buds as I've ever seen in my 28 years here in the industry. And so we were thinking, boy, we've really got an opportunity for a big crop this year. Thurlby says they're expecting a crop of 19.9 million 20-pound boxes, and the recent warming trend will undoubtedly help. The warm weather gives a cell division, so the cherries size up for the sugars to build up in the fruit. So the last two and a half, three weeks here have been absolutely perfect growing weather, and I think we just have a really nice crop of fruit that has the potential to be super high quality. And that, Thurlby says, is what is expected. Now, at the end of the day, if you want to pick out one single thing that really makes the biggest difference in the market, and it's when our cherries are you know, up to the standards that the Northwest growers have always tried to hold, which is great fruit. The growers were telling me they were 25 to 30 days out still, and they were already the size of a quarter. <laughs> so those are, some, those are going to be some really nice-sized cherries. And he says at this point, the crop is looking really good, but the weather for the next couple of months will be the deciding factor. You know, last year's crop was 13.3 million, was the shortest crop in the last 15 years. So we definitely are going to have more fruit this year. And that's, you know, good news for the grower, good news for the consumer. So we're excited about that portion of, of the story. Everyone we've spoken to, whether we're talking Korea, Taiwan, China, Vietnam, Thailand, I mean, everybody's the first things we we sit down at the table with them is we need cherries this year. We really, after last year, we really need cherries. And Thurlby says consumers will likely see an overlap this year in availability of California and Northwest cherries, which should mean a longer season for enjoying them. And also last week, the USDA announced $23 million in grant funding for the dairy industry. The funding is available to support processing capacity expansion, on-farm improvements, and technical assistance services to producers through the Dairy Business Innovation Initiatives. The initiatives being funded non-competitively are California State University Fresno, the University of Tennessee, Vermont Agency of Agriculture, Food and Markets, and the University of Wisconsin. 
Dairy farmers and businesses interested in the program must contact the appropriate initiative to be considered for direct technical assistance or a sub-award. This is American Ag Today, produced by the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen, wishing you a great rest of your day.